Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be looking at building resiliency. So as businesses are becoming more complex, it really opens up numerous issues that need to be accounted for. This includes business processes, critical business and IT functions, and third-party relationships. All of these factors can be hard to coordinate across departments, and this lack of visibility makes it difficult to prove and report that continuity and recovery plans are in place and where work is intended. So resiliency programs allow for a proactive approach in order to address and mitigate resiliency risk to your organization. But resiliency requires building processes and technologies that naturally adapt to adverse conditions, make mid-course corrections, and avoid many negative impacts or disruptions. And here to lend his expertise on the matter, I've got Ben Tuckwell, who is the UK District Director at RSA Security. So Ben, thank you very much for coming on today's podcast. No problem, thank you. I'm looking forward to this discussion because obviously it's a very timely thing that's happening at the moment and there's a lot to discuss around this area that organizations might not have thought about. So it'd be interesting to kind of get your thoughts on these subject matters. And that's why I kind of want to start by looking at this changing and volatile landscape that we've got. So to start off with, how can organizations help ensure that they have optimal business continuity and resilience processes in place? Yeah. Great. It's firstly worth pointing out that this is a huge subject matter and it affects the whole company. Mm. Every company is different, but really the rise of the risk department and its influence and the influence that the CRO or the chief risk officer has with an organization, that's really grown over the last few years and it's been incredible to watch. Risk as a subject has always been considered and analyzed, but it's really only until recently it's become a much more structured and important subject, mainly due to the complexities of how a modern business ultimately functions. So from a digital standpoint, I guess this was given a huge boost a few years ago now, but in the profile of how risk is looked at over GDPR, you know, it is enforced and the company's CEOs were sort of named and shamed and sort of for failing to meet sort of standards. So now the chief risk officer is one of the CEO's right-hand men or women. And those people are really helping making real business decisions and often influencing where budgets could be allocated. So to answer the question, understanding and assessing where the risks are, making and creating a plan and ultimately testing your playbooks. An ultimate and uh, extreme example would be you can't replicate a tsunami, but you can run through process level continuity simulations and, and test those processes. So recovering from a disaster can also have business impacts And that's not without its risks. So you need to be really careful about how that's looked at. A DR failover test, that might mean switching off active systems, which in itself has associated risks, but there's ways around that by running simulations. So there's lots of ways of sort of putting together simulations. The office disaster recovery simulation, if you like, and saying all staff should go and work from home, very apt at the moment. But if you were to say, send 10% of your workforce home, you could have a simulation to say, you know, what happened in a worst case scenario, they can come back into the office and say, oh, no, broadband wasn't working or couldn't do this, couldn't do that. So there's ways of running simulations that don't necessarily have business impacts. That's a really important part that we need to focus on, really. 
Yeah, that's interesting and makes sense. If you can run those simulations and find those causes, then obviously you can find solutions to them as well. But if we take it from a perspective of a company hasn't taken those steps or they haven't really put that plan into action or really made it a priority at the end of the day, how can they approach a business impact analysis to really fully understand what's going on? Really good point. So I guess the first thing to do is really identify what's most important to your business. The ultimate question is to ask, what will stop your company from doing business? So you need to look at each of the business functions, which departments are within that and measure them individually. You need to then consolidate all those risk lists, score it, and then work out what to prioritize. The other really important thing to do in that instance is to have a joined up plan that's clearly communicated and making sure it's got ownership and accountability associated with it. And I think that's going to be a key message that we look at throughout this podcast is it's having a clear plan, having a clear understanding and knowing what's coming. And you mentioned the risk team and how important that role has become in organizations for understanding all of this. But what role should that risk team be undertaking to make sure that everyone is on that same page and they're aligned to those company resiliency goals? Yeah, it's really important for the ultimate thing for those guys to be doing is cross-functional alignment. You know, that's, for me, the key to success. You need to break down the silos, both internally and externally with your third parties. Again, agreeing on the priorities of, of what you do need to be looking at. Making sure you speak the same language is really important. Any misinterpretation in regards to what the risk is or how to basically act in that situation, that needs to be super clear. Yeah, again, going back to that whole point of having a clear owner and making sure that there's accountability assigned with that. So they're really where we need to be sort of looking at. Cross-functional alignment is one of the most important things to sort of making sure you've got success in that business. So if we were to take an example then, let's say we're talking about dynamic workforce risk. What does that really mean and how can you empower your workforce to access the resources that they need without creating that risk? How do you get that kind of alignment from that standpoint? Yeah, so for me, when looking at dynamic workforces, someone who can sort of really work from anywhere, it means that they can work in the way that they need to as an employee. So that might be different devices, it might be different hours. And also the introduction of having temporary staff and contractors means that a workforce can change shape and adapt quickly. And we sort of see this in the gig economy. So if you alter any part of that process, you know, in this instance, you're opening up a traditional security perimeter, you're going to need to go back and reassess the risks that you've had previously. You then need to put new controls around what you've found. So in this example, authentication and remote access creates lots of changes and challenges in itself to the traditional static office-based personnel. So you're looking at secure remote access. So authentication is obviously a big thing, making sure that people have got the right access and access to probably more cloud apps. So they're going to lend themselves much more to a dynamic workforce. So collaboration tools like Zoom, they're going to just naturally sort of fit with a mobile workforce. Definitely. And everyone knows this is exactly what we're seeing currently and, and what might be the potential for the future as well of this remote workforce and understanding how they can successfully navigate this without causing additional risk to the companies. And to follow on from that, how has this current climate, and in particular in regards to the more mobile and remote workforces, created new challenges? Could you maybe give us some tips or best practices to manage that effectively? 
Yeah, I mean, there's been lots of things that have come off the back of the, you know, the recent amount of people sort of working from home and remotely. You know, there's lots of heightened risks. I think the risk of employee feeling unsupervised. A lot of people have obviously sat in offices for a long time doing their role, and they might be a bit more vulnerable or open to other ideas, which can ultimately create new insider threat profiles that you would never normally associated with someone in that sort of role because they're in a work environment. I think the, the lack of a healthy working environment at home you know, that's something that a lot of people haven't really necessarily taken into consideration. So having a good space that you can work from, um, a lot of us are lucky enough to have, you know, maybe a home office or a kitchen or somewhere that they can put a desk and chairs that they can work from. But there are people out there who live in sort of smaller accommodation, maybe in a room, and maybe they don't have the space to put a desk and chair. So they are sort of working from very small areas. So have you got a healthy environment that you can work from? There's also the fact that you're working from home and who's in the home and who could access your systems while you're being distracted, maybe by small children. So you could be looking at damage to a laptop that would normally be in a controlled environment. So someone pouring some water or coffee over your laptop or alternatively, you've got your back turned for a minute and a small child starts mashing the keyboard and you end up in a situation where something gets changed or deleted and you could have a, a situation like that. So that's another risk that people need to sort of take into consideration. Home internet speeds, you know, the speeds, the capacity and that reliability that's never really been tested in anger before on a larger scale. You know, there's, there's people who've always worked from home, but no one said, right, everyone go home to, you know, your towns and your villages and basically switch on your laptop and start having video calls while you've got someone else in another room watching Netflix and another person on a PlayStation in the other room. And you're saying, right, okay, is it robust enough to be able to handle doing business remotely? So that seems to sort of have stood up quite well in, in the majority. You know, another thing that sort of really needs to be sort of taken into consideration is the machines that you're actually using, the general device cleanliness, patching and updates and making sure that, you know, the machine that you're working on is, is, is capable of doing the job. On another point, I think adapting as an employer and as actually a management team to go back and really trust staff and help them to be more effective as remote workers. This has been a, you know, quite a big mindset jump for a lot of organizations who have historically said, we only work from the office, we must have control, we, we don't want people being away. And now we're in a situation where people are being said, right, yeah, you must work from home. So from an employee point of view, we want to make sure they're supported. But actually, seeing businesses adapt their organizational structure You've seen a lot of people coming forward in regards to things like mental health and making sure that actually everyone is supported in an appropriate manner. So as much as you've got risks, which are your traditional risks that you might be considering from technology, there's actually a massive multi-factor, multifaceted, I should say, area where we sort of need to sort of look at what risks are in our workforce. Completely agree. And it's interesting from this perspective, because as you've been alluding to, this wasn't ever part of a contingency or a continuity plan. This was never on the table for a lot of organizations who did have to overnight go, okay, this is how we're doing it. And it raises questions for the future as well of where this could potentially go. Is this going to become that term that everyone's thrown around, the new normal of how businesses kind of work? And how do you think risk teams can kind of approach that or put a plan in place to prepare for these issues that you've been talking about or ones that we haven't even thought of yet? Any transformation, digital or not, means change. And with change comes risk and risk management needs to sort of expand and so do your sort of security controls. So when we look at things like third party 
and we think about third party really as sort of supply chain or organizations that are outside of your business, you can look at certain things. So if, if you took an example of sort of the organization can't get pens, you've got a lack of pens in your organization. There's not really a big impact there. It's an easy thing to resolve. You can go to pencils, you can do all sorts of different things. No one's really going to mind not having a pen. But if you were to take uh, the example of an order processing application that runs in the cloud, failure of that system is going to have an instant and business critical impact. So your cloud-based order processing app may have access to multiple business critical systems. So you can imagine how this becomes a big problem if it's compromised. In addition to that, your customer's data, that could well be integrated into that third-party system, creating an even extended issue. And you know you compound that with the fact that many of today's breaches are coming from third parties. So this is a really important subject to be sort of clear on. Definitely. And it, it's such a, a wide area to kind of focus on with this, because as you mentioned, with this third-party ecosystem and the complexity of that, it makes it really hard to kind of identify and manage those related kind of security, access, compliance, and resiliency risks when you're bringing that into your organization. So what steps can an organization take to stay on top of that? Yeah, so if a vendor's involved in your business, you're going to need to assess the impact of what they're connected to and put controls in place for any risks that will be highlighted off the back of that. So I think three things, really. You can identify what that third party is involved in and connected to, how critical that is in regards to sort of the processes that they touch, and then what is the impact of what that third party failing or experiencing breach will mean to you as an organization. These points are going to help you focus and prioritize how you deal with that third party and understand which vendors or companies that you're dealing with, you know, which are the most risky and which are the most risky parts of that business. This is allowing you to sort of put in place mitigating measures and controls. And, you know, that's going to be internally as well as partnering and going forward and working with your third party. And in relation to that, with your kind of third party risk, could you walk me through how to conduct risk assessments for better understanding a vendor's residual risk? And obviously, the ultimate goal is reducing that. Yeah. So if you're looking at how you would reduce the risk within those third parties, it's really a case of looking at how they function as a business. Have they got the right sort of controls in place? And you would send out questionnaires to make sure that they are connected in the right way. So are they running their business in a structured manner? So there's lots of organizations that will connect into you and then will connect into those businesses. So, you know, you're looking at fourth parties, even fifth parties in some instances through the supply chain or through logistics and things like that. So it's about making sure that these organizations, if they have access to your systems, tracking exactly where they've been and what they do. It comes back to that, what we were discussing, making sure that plan is in place, making sure it works and understanding the risk because that's always the bottom line of this. I've got kind of one more area I wanted to focus on before we finish here and it's relating to the current landscape that we're seeing today. So with the attack surface for an organization, with it being kind of shifted and expanded, what should organizations do to stay on and ensure that they minimize their cyber risk? Mm, yes, good question. So cyber resiliency is now a massive part of business resiliency, really. And it's never been more important to be sort of resilient to cyber threats, given the world we live in. So there's three elements to that, I would say. So making sure that 
users have got essential access, you know, not just general access, essential access. So when you look at joiners, movers, levers, have they got the right access to the right things at the right time? And it's amazing how many companies don't have this under control. And staff profiles can collect system accesses as they move through the company, get promoted, move from different roles to different roles, and you hold on to those accesses. So that that becomes a risk within itself. Profiles can also stay live long after an employee has left an organization. So Mm. that in itself has obvious risks associated with it. So making sure that the joiners, movers, levers have the right access to the right systems. If they move, their access changes and moves with them. I think testing your defenses being the second one, really making sure you regularly test and uh, simulate the risks and the recovery playbooks that you've got within your organization and then making sure that's well documented and well published and communicated. And the last one really is making sure that you protect your data. So the last line of defense, I suppose, have you got a clear and tested backup and recovery plan make sure that the backup can't be ransomed in the case of a ransomware attack because you know if you end up in a situation where you do need to roll back and and recover if you find that your backup has been compromised at the same time then there's nowhere for you to go ultimately and not losing access to your backup is essential and i suppose part of that is really expect the unexpected so keep testing and keep going back over those plans 100% 100% agree. Expect the unexpected is a perfect motto to live by. And there's a lot of points that you've raised in this podcast that if you're listening to this as an organization or, or an owner or, or whatever position in the company, and there's areas of this that you're not focusing on, now is the time to kind of take those steps to understand it better, implement it, and avoid any issues in the future. So Ben, thank you very much for coming on today's podcast, walking us through all of this and really giving a a great oversight on all of these issues. Thank you, Max. Really appreciate it. Excellent. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this. We hope you took a lot away from the conversation. If you do want to find out more information, then make sure you do head over to rsa.com. They've got some great resources on these matters and a really great tool to kind of learn and understand what's going on. We'll be back soon with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll speak soon. Bye-bye. listening to the em360 podcast for more great content head on over to em360tech.com